You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Well, these uh, Sunday mornings when I've been preaching, we've been uh, looking at uh, bits of the book of Ecclesiastes, and so let me uh, invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes, and uh, we're going to be looking particularly at chapter 4 from verse 13 to verse 16, uh, but we're going to read the whole of chapter 4 again just now. Last uh, Sunday morning, we looked at the first 12 verses, and we left uh, the fourth little bit of the chapter until today, uh, there being so much in it uh, for us to explore, particularly uh, at a time like this in our national life. So we're going to read Ecclesiastes 4 from verse 1 through uh, to the end of verse 16, and then we'll concentrate on verses 13 to 16. And just a reminder that uh, the teacher, uh, Koheleth, is uh, most likely Solomon, Um, is comparing uh, two ways to live, two paths in life, and uh, one path which is folly and which is sinful, rather merely ignorant, um, is uh, labeled under the sun. Uh, So it's when you're living under the sun rather than under the one who made the sun, when your universe extends only to the, uh, as far as what you can see, when you're living in that kind of WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get world. Uh, essentially a materialistic world. It's the world that um, uh, so many would uh, like there to be and would like to be living in, and in which so many um, uh, people sort of uh, absorb their whole uh, lives so that their lives are spent under the sun. And the reason why uh, the teacher uh, goes on about life under the sun uh, through particularly the earlier part of the book is to show how Uh, pointless, meaningless, vain, empty, it is. And uh, it's a very powerful way of teaching by exploring uh, the contrast between the right way to live, that is under God who made the sun, and the wrong way to live. And he paints a very clear picture of what life ends up becoming if you live without God in Uh, your life and in the universe, if you live in that kind of impersonal, self-made world that is normal for so many people in Britain, uh, and uh, which we can find ourselves, even as Christians, functionally slipping into. So it comes not only as a warning uh, or as sort of a diatribe against what, quotes the world is like, um, we take it to heart. It was given to God's people. Uh, in the Old Testament, and uh, God's people nowadays are no less capable of functionally living under the sun. Uh, We just get on with life and and cast the odd prayer in God's direction kind of thing. So we get these recurring phrases like vanity, vanity, or meaningless, meaningless, or empty, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, in chapter 4, Uh, Koheleth has spent his time observing what's going on. Uh, That kind of shrewd observation of how life works is is one of the Hebrew words for wisdom. Ecclesiastes, of course, 
being um, part of the wisdom literature uh, of the scriptures. There are about five different words that are used in the Hebrew for wisdom, and one of them has to do with that shrewd observation of how things work uh, in life. And he's been doing that. And uh, so there are these four things in chapter 4 that he um, points out as being utterly and totally meaningless or rendering life meaningless uh, if you just live under the sun. So chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, and hopefully after that long introduction you've found it by now. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power is on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Advancement is meaningless, is the subtitle you've got um, in the NIV, uh, where we read, Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to take warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind." Well, having looked in the first uh, few verses at uh, the world which can oppress cruelly, and if you've got no God, then you have no accountability, no final recourse, no one who's going to bring justice in in the end, and so power remains on the side of the oppressors, and there literally is no comfort. And then he looks at, um, in verses 4 following, uh, the, the way that you try and build up meaning in your life, meaning for yourself by achieving more and more and by definitely achieving more than the next person. So you want to make sure that if you're building a skyscraper in New York City, it's taller than the other person's. So you keep the last bit somewhere else, I think in Minneapolis somewhere, and then you bring it right in at the last when the guy who was building the Chrysler building thought he'd got it taller, and then you just bring in the tallest bit that puts the Empire State Building higher. Um, 
you, you just want to be better than other people, but it ends up being meaningless uh, because envy is an absolutely insatiable motivator. Uh, and then he looks at the, the question of, of human companionship. And uh, if you're alone, then you've nobody to help you. You've nobody to pass things on to. You work really hard, but what does it all mean? And you end up with the same conclusion. This too is meaningless and miserable business. And then uh, Kaheleth in the fourth part, what we've got in front of us today, 13 through 16, uh, comes to the, the question of, well, advancement. Um, getting to the top, uh, rising to the top like the cream uh, in the milk, uh, and being number one. So I was going to call this uh, sermon, I think I did call this sermon a few weeks ago when I was asked for a title. Uh, I, I called it, What Do I Mean? Um, but David Cameron uh, supplied us with a perfect title for this because David Cameron said, of course, in his last sentence in the House of Commons as Prime Minister, I was the future once. And that is exactly what this is about. I don't know if David Cameron read either my notes for the sermon or Ecclesiastes, uh, probably neither, but, um, but he couldn't have put it better. I was the future once. Because what's happening in 13 through 16 is that there is an old king um, who nobody is really liking. He's not listening. He's going to become detached from everybody else. He cannot take a warning. Um, he cannot take a warning about what's happening underneath him, about his own position, his power, or whatever. He won't listen to something that he doesn't want to listen to. All the time, there's this younger guy who is listening, so he's described as wise. And he may have come from prison, he may have come from poverty, but he ends up succeeding the king. And everybody's following the new king. He is the, he's the, he's the new kid on the block, he's fresh-faced, he's popular, he's the future, the old king has gone now, David Cameron has gone to his home in Oxfordshire, jings how hard that must be, and... Um, the, the new one's in there. Now, I don't think Theresa May has quite got the popularity that Kaheleth is describing about the young guy here. But it, he's, he's just the new thing. And he has masses of popularity. But all those people who are following him, they're going to get replaced. And the, youth, the wise youth will become older. And all the people who replace his followers and all the folk who are singing his praises, they're going to get replaced by the new people coming in who will look at this, this once young but now older king and they'll say, well, we don't want him. And what will they do? They'll just look for the next new kid on the block. They'll just look for the next fresh face. And this process of advancement, of succession, of being deposed, of being popular and then unpopular, this rising to the top in terms of popularity and position and power, because, of course, the king represents power more than anything else, just renders life meaningless. Now, health is not simply making a point for those who are likely to become king. He's making a point about life for everybody. So what is he saying 
um, that we can, for ourselves, uh, not only take away as an understanding of how the world ticks around us, but for our own lives also. Uh, well, for that, we really go back to the children's address uh, and that great old children's song that those of us over a certain age know, but none of the kids knew. Interesting. Um, I'm special. It really is uh, the case that our kids are being taught that they are special. And this is so common that it is normal and normal to the point of being virtuous. They are special because of special things they can do or things that they can do which just are special to them. Our kids are being uh, taught and have been for, for a decade or more um, 15, 20 years. I mean, we were getting this from the Disney cartoon kid things that our kids were watching, and, and our oldest is 27 now, 28 next month. Um, and it wasn't fresh then, really. The idea was that you're special primarily because of something in you. You're special because of what you can do. You're special because of, in 13 through 16, the popularity that you have the position you occupy, and the power that you can wield. You're, you're special not because of the one who is over the sun. You're special because of just what's going on in this world under the sun. But of course, what happens then when you lose the popularity? What happens when your position is gone and you're demoted? Did David Cameron get the kind of chauffeur-driven car for him and his family when they left number 10 through the back door whilst Theresa May was coming in through the front door? Here we are again with uh, another unelected woman married to somebody called Philip in power over us. Um, glad, glad some of you are awake. Good. Um, did he get the same... Uh, attention? Did he get the same privilege? Did he get the same um, uh, sort of courtesies when he was being driven away as had become normal throughout his premiership? And the answer is no. Instantly, he was a has-been. It was astonishing to see how quickly the interest just vanished as soon as he and his family walked back into number 10, him having spoken at the front, and as soon as he'd had his last PMQ, that was it. All the attention turned to Theresa May. He was right when he said, I was the future once. So if you lose the position and the popularity and the power, are you still special? Let me just take you back to the children's address, which, like all children's addresses, is primarily aimed at the adults. If you lose the capacity to do your equivalent of the ballet or the Play-Doh or the Lego or the other things that, that, that I mentioned, if you lose your capacity to work and you have gained your sense of meaning, even as a Christian, you have gained your sense of meaning from your position, 
your popularity and your power because of your place of work. Because you've been promoted. Because in the workplace, you have been the equivalent of a wise youth who's gone from nowhere to, to somewhere. And if you lose that, what do you mean? If you've placed your meaning in what you can do and what the people around you think of you. What do you do if um, your friends either move away and forget you or take a dislike to you? And you've derived your sense of meaning as a human being from them. What if your uh, sense of meaning comes from your position and your power in church? And you lose that through illness, through moving away, through sin. Where are you? So an education system that is teaching our children that their specialness comes from what they can do and enjoy doing or what other people think of them because they're popular in class. Our education system, which functions under the sun, avowedly and deliberately under the sun, an education system that has been framed by people who want to rule God out. Our education system is setting our children up for precisely, not just our children, but all children. This is not a church versus state thing. This is not an argument for private education or whatever. This is, it's all children. This is what it's doing to our society. Let's not be sort of ghetto-minded this morning with it. It is setting a whole generation up to feel meaningless. Nietzsche, who um, in many respects is, is the, the father of our postmodernism, uh, Nietzsche talked about the will to power as being the driving force that all human beings have. Our will is the will to power. Or as um, Fiddler on the Roof song has it, Topol singing, if I rule the world. The, the, the route from Nietzsche to Topol is a circuitous one, but there is one. So, the will to power, according to Ecclesiastes 4, 13 to 16, is the will to what? It is the will to meaninglessness because your power will be taken from you you will get older you will lose popularity your position will disappear so what we have in our society at the moment and what we can find ourselves functioning with is the very opposite of what the bible teaches and it's the very thing that is being exposed in 4, 13 through 16. A few weeks ago, um, or months ago by now, we were looking at chapter 3, and particularly 
uh, from verse 18 through to verse 22. And the thing that, that that raises, that passage raises, is the question, what am I worth? What is my value? Well, here he's raising the, one of these great ultimate questions again. What do I mean? Now, how do we take then this teaching from Kaheleth that if you live under the sun, as people do now, then you end up thinking it's meaningless, which is what happens now? What do we do with it? Uh, well, I think we let it help us to understand what it is that God gives us and what it is that we can give to one another, what it is that we can acknowledge when we live under the one who made the sun. And I want to approach this by making a distinction. There is a distinction, in fact, a world of difference between what the world wants, which is importance, and what meaning is, which God gives us, which is significance. Now, let me just tease that out for a moment or two. The devil can't do anything original. As my predecessor in Aberdeen when I was a minister there used to say, the devil has not an original thought in his head. All he can do is corrupt what God makes. The devil is not a maker. He's just a spoiler. Now, God gave to Adam and to Eve a significance he gave them meaning, and the meaning came through their relationship with him as maker and their lover and their provider and their companion and the one who enjoyed fellowship with them. All their significance, all their meaning came from him and from the work that he gave them to do. After the fall, significance is replaced by the devil's spoiling version, by the devil's ruining of what God gave to Adam and Eve, which was meaning and significance because of him. So once we stop living before God, in the face of God, before we, since we stopped living under the one who made the sun, all we've got is the devil's version of significance, and that is importance. So I want to be important. I've got to be important. Uh, it's what we hear from our politicians all the time. Put a microphone anywhere near most of our politicians and they will immediately start talking about how important they are and how important their policies are and how important it is that they get the power, <laughs> funnily enough. It's just basically the devil's version. The devil's twisted, mangled, inverted version. The devil's godless version of what God gives us, which is significance. If you take God away, you end up meaning signifying nothing. Because everywhere that you try and derive your importance from, the alternative to significance, won't give it to you. Or it'll give it to you for a while, and then it'll take it away.
So there is something in us that wants to be important, that sinful thing that wants to be important, that wants to be to carry a lot of weight in a place. Important. To be more important than other people because that's what importance is. Important means that other people aren't quite as special as you. So you get people who want to be important in the workplace. Pompous windbags sometimes. (laughs) You get people who want to be important in the church. You get people who want to be important in their family. You get people who want to be important in every sphere of life. And all the time, all, all, all that's doing is setting you up for a fall. Because the meaning that you're trying to derive from your importance will vanish. So, what is the alternative when we live under the one who made the sun? When we live with God in the picture? When we live with that fear of God, which is the flip side of love for God? What is it like when you take away the quest for importance or Nietzsche's will for power and you look at significance? Well, immediately, you're in a brighter world. Because immediately, you have a significance which is derived. Derived from the one who made you and the one who loves you and the one who has given you work to do in his world for his glory and for the good of people around you. So immediately, you can make your good works count and be of significance, not because they make you important, but because they make people or they cause people to glorify your Father who is in heaven. So suddenly by not being important, but by pointing to the one who truly is, you gain more significance. You gain more meaning. Your work has more meaning. Your sacrifice has more meaning. Because all of a sudden, your sacrifice is not a tool for manipulating other people into giving you what you want. Your sacrifice is for the one who doesn't miss any of it. Your sacrifice is seen. Your hard work, sleepless nights, as Paul recounted his cost for his ministry in 2 Corinthians, all that is seen and it brings glory to God which is a wonderful thing to be able to do. And so you find in Philippians 2, 6 through 11, when Paul either quotes a hymn or writes it, who knows, that all the wonderful glory that is given to Jesus, who is given the highest place, most exalted place, so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, Jesus bounces it all off to the Father. It's actually about him. So we have... If you live before God, if functionally we live before God, if we go to work, if we do our stuff in our families, if we go and do whatever we are doing, play around a golf, go and play tennis, go and do some bit of shopping, 
do whatever you're doing, if you're doing it for the one who made you, if you're doing it under his will, if you're doing it knowing that he has made you for this and for himself, if you're doing it resting secure in a love for you that will never, ever cease, and it's not a love that you have earned by being important, but a love that is just given to you and gives you meaning, then have you not got a better life? And if you lose the capacity to do the work, you don't mean any less. If you lose the capacity to serve in church, you don't mean any less. If you lose the popularity, you don't mean any less. If like Johnny, you dive into a shallow bit of water and end up quadriplegic, you don't mean any less. You may be forgotten by people at work very, very quickly. Don't ever go back. You may be forgotten by even members of your family. You may be forgotten even by people in church. But you're not forgotten by God. So if David Cameron has invested his sense of meaning and significance, if David Cameron has, has, has invested that sense of what he is worth in his position when he was out front of number 10 speaking to all the journalists and when he was jetting around doing prime ministerial stuff and being very important, if he'd invested his sense of meaning in that, what would he have felt driving away? Well, maybe a sense of relief. <laughs> But if David Cameron had invested his sense of meaning and significance in what God thought of him and how God loves him, would you not drive away from the back door of number 10 with peace in your heart? Would you not drive away now almost instantly forgotten, instantly a has-been, instantly irrelevant, knowing that actually you still mattered just as much to the person who really matters. So let's lay this before God's people. In some respects, David Cameron's a bit of an easy target, isn't it, this morning, because he's not here. Um, let's say this before ourselves. Where are you getting your sense of significance at the moment? Uh, where are you getting your sense of meaning? If it's coming from popularity, position, or power, 
repent. If you search your heart and in some significant sphere of your life you are beginning to draw in importance, not significance, meaning that comes through position, power, or popularity, then just turn to God now and say, sorry, my king. Sorry, my Lord. Sorry for trading your unending love, my maker, for the tawdry fly-by-night evaporating stuff that this world gives. Or maybe you're, you're hungering for significance. There's a great book by R.C. Sproul called The Hunger for Significance. Maybe you're hungering for significance. You're not hungering for importance. You don't want to be king of the castle. You just want to know that you mean something. And you come here and you've found people very friendly, which is great. You come here and you've found talk about things which are really important and just get under the surface of life amazingly. But you're also hearing about the God who made you and who loves you so much that he sent his son to bear all your sin on the cross so that you could know the one who gives you true significance and will give your life meaning through to your dying day. Well, turn to him. Don't put it off. There's no need to put it off. There's no advantage putting it off. There's nothing better to be gained by putting it off. Turn to him. And say, Lord, my maker, I turn to you for life. Forgiveness for the very sins that have been killing me. Grace. Mercy. And Ecclesiastes 4, 13 to 16, true meaning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in a world that counts life so cheap, as we have seen uh, this week with awful, gruesome, tragic evil, in a world that counts life so cheap, it counts other people's dignity as being so expendable, we turn to you We remind ourselves, Lord, in your presence of what Jesus said about two sparrows being sold for a farthing.
and saying, how, of how much greater worth are you, little children? Father, thank you. Thank you that you can make these brief, passing little lives of ours really mean something in this life and for all eternity through Jesus. And Lord, we do not come to you simply for something we can get from you, though you are the ultimate giver. We come to you and we ask you to be gracious and merciful to us just because that is true. Better and truer than all the myths and lies in our world around us. Hear our prayers. Listen to our thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.